Well, welcome back. Yeah, we do have our regulars. That's good. And for those of you in podcast land, welcome back. Um, found out a few people at the school have been following it. They said, hey, I heard you teach. I said, what are you talking about? Oh, then I better watch out what I say then. <laughs> better be careful who I bring up. Uh, you know, and some of y'all have asked, you know, about, uh, you know, COVID things and school and what that's like. And, you know, there's a lot of inconvenience, but we're, we're doing it. Uh, we had at one point over 50 out having to do remote because we had a couple of positive cases and then with contact tracing and all that stuff, it was, it was so much, it was almost 50 people out. Um, and, you know, it centered on our volleyball team and that exploded and anyway, so now everyone's back. It's really cool to see everybody back and, uh, Volleyball is continuing. A lot of the sports nowadays, if you can field a team, we'll take you. <laughs> That's really what they, what they want. So uh, things, things are getting back to normal, so it's great. Uh, appreciate y'all's prayers and all these things. All right, well, we're going to continue with the life of Jesus Christ. Um, last week, uh, let's see, what did we leave off on? We left off on, what did we leave off? Yeah, John, John the Baptist sending his delegation to Jesus to say, are you the one? And hear, hearing Jesus then confirm not just John the Baptist, but his own uh, Messiahship as well. Uh, not overtly, but, but for those who have ears to hear, he said, you'll, you'll hear it. Uh, and at the end of that, uh, he said, now what do I compare the people of this generation to? Uh, and he said, like children in a marketplace, you know, and he said, you know, like John, so no matter what we play, you're not satisfied, whether it's wedding or funeral. And he said, John came, you call him crazy because he's too austere. And then here I come, and because I am a friend of sin, you call me a friend of sinners and tax collectors and, and a glutton and all these things. That's kind of where we, where we left off. But he then said, uh, wisdom is vindicated by her actions or in the account in Luke, which is right before what we're going to look at uh, to this, this morning, wisdom is vindicated by her children. And what we're going to see this morning is an interesting look at, okay, having just said, you guys are not satisfied no matter what. You call me someone who's, you know, going around eating and drinking and partying and all these things. A Pharisee asks him to dinner, uh, to, to a banquet, uh, which is kind of ironic uh, in the sense that uh, here we're going to see now Jesus at the home of a Pharisee in a banquet setting. Uh, and... We're gonna, and it's it's a it's a it's a passage probably that's familiar to many of you, um, and in it we're gonna see uh, an, a guest come to this banquet who's not just not invited but kind of intrusive. She intrudes into this banquet setting, and we're gonna look at that. That's point number one, an intruding guest. But then we're gonna hear Jesus talk about, and we're gonna see because of what this guest does, uh, this this incredible gratitude. And forgiveness as well. Gratitude because of incredible forgiveness. And we're going to see here that wisdom is indeed vindicated by our children. Here's one of those children that we're going to see that what Christ is doing and how his kingdom is coming is indeed vindicated. We're going to bleed into chapter 8. Uh, the episode ends, but then we're told about a few more women who are, who are accompanying Jesus and his disciples. And I just thought we'd because the main character here is a woman as well. So that's kind of where we're going. That's the outline. 
So having just heard that Jesus is a partier, a Pharisee asks him to a party. So with that, all right, Jay, you ready? You're in chapter 7. Luke 7. You got this. See, when Jay's here, he has to read first, and then Ron will go second. See, it's just, it's a, you can't, yeah, you, we, we, we have an order. It's tradition. That's right. Yeah. And then beginning in verse 36. Thank you, Jay. Good job. All right. We'll pause there. All right. Um, This is not the same episode that we find in Matthew and Mark, where near the the end of Jesus' ministry, right before his crucifixion, we have the woman coming in and anointing his head. This is a different episode. If you recall, then the disciples are are quibbling about, you know, the cost of of the the perfume itself. Uh, In this case... Uh, this, this is a different case. This is early on. This is in Galilee early on uh, that we have this woman coming in. Now, uh, so having said that, our first question should be, why in the world would this Pharisee ask Jesus over? Uh, from what we've seen so far, the Pharisees, for the most part, the Pharisees and Jesus have been, you know, at, in conflict. So here you have a Pharisee inviting Jesus to, to dine. And not just a dinner, because this woman actually gets, makes her way into this, uh, this is more of an open banquet setting. Uh, it's, it, people had a lot less private life than we do today. And these courtyards would have been open, and there were people who would come and just kind of sit against the walls to hear the conversation. They would want to know what this rabbi and this teacher are talking about, and a, a also, some who were in need would hang around for leftovers. <laughs> they would want what was left. So, it's not unusual for people other than the invited guests to be there, but you can see that something else happens entirely. So, why have him over? Well, you know, throughout, you know, there's a lot of folks who've had a lot of explanations, and it could be a little bit of all of them for all we know. One, it could have been a little bit of a sympathizer. Maybe he's thinking maybe this guy is a prophet. Hence, you know, when he says, if this guy were a prophet, he would know. Uh, maybe he's maybe a little bit of sympathy there for maybe just a little bit of open-mindedness about, well, I'm going to see what's going on with this guy who's performing these miracles and people are coming to him. There are some who say maybe this is a setup. 
that uh, once again the Pharisees have, have, you know, this Pharisee in particular, is just going to try to see what Jesus is going to say or do that maybe he could use against him. Uh, I've even had some, <laughs> there's some who would say that he's, well, he's kind of like just, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he likes to gather celebrities around himself. Uh, he just, this is guy's out there, he's popular, and hey, I want to be around, I want to see what he's got to say. Uh, so maybe there's just a little bit of a, you know, look who I had to dinner kind of thing. Uh, or it could be a combination of all of those. What we, what's funny, however, ironic to us as the reader is the Pharisee doesn't seem to get that, you know, you're inviting him to a banquet <laughs> where there's eating and drinking. So, uh, which is what Jesus has just been accused of. Um, that Jesus hangs, yes, Jesus does indeed hang around with sinners and tax collectors. And guess who else? Pharisees. <laughs> that he hangs around with them too. Do what? Even worse. Even worse. <laughs> Politicians. All right, yeah. Right, exactly. So, here he is with him. Well, in the midst of the banquet, now, obviously, they recline. They're not sitting at a table. They don't sit like us with their feet down below the table. Uh, it's, it's on the ground, a little ta table not far off the ground, and they recline. They recline on their left arm, so their right arm is free to eat, and their feet are away from the table. So, it's not as if she had to crawl under the table to, to do this. When this woman comes in, his feet are out from the table, ready. <laughs> and it, it appears like, what appears is this woman, uh, it took a lot of courage and she took, put social convention aside because she's so overwhelmed by what's happened to her. Uh, the relief of the guilt and the forgiveness that has is, that is flooded her. She's just overwhelmed to come see Jesus. Now, when did she see him before? When did this happen? When, what happened to make her so grateful? Now, we're going to find out later. We're going to get hints at it. But uh, most likely, having heard the words of Jesus and had been with Jesus at some point previously, had, had her sins forgiven, had been released from whatever way of life she was a part of. We're told she's a sinner. Well, <laughs> yes, aren't we all? Uh, there are some who speculated, however, that because of the reaction to the woman, that maybe she was, you know, the town harlot, a prostitute, perhaps that's who this is. Some have speculated that it's perhaps Mary Magdalene because Mary Magdalene is mentioned in the beginning of chapter 8 right on the heels of this, but we're not told. We're, we're, we're not told who it is or exactly the specific sin, but it was a sin about which the Pharisee knew and others knew to be outraged. So not just run-of-the-mill sinner, perhaps. Whatever it might be, though, she's overwhelmed. And thus she comes into, she intrudes in this setting and doesn't just say, oh, hey, Jesus, thanks. Uh, there's more to it than that. Having come to probably anoint him, hence the, the alabaster vial. And by the way, it doesn't necessarily mean it was made of alabaster. Just like we call uh, any, any tissue a Kleenex. Kleenex, 
not all of them are Kleenex brand, right? The alabaster vial was what they called these vials, whether made of alabaster or not, for holding the perfume. And, Br and British, Jewish women <laughs> often would have this, this vial of perfume around their neck, and it was permitted even on the Sabbath. So uh, now if she is a, let's say a, a, a woman uh, of ill repute, this vial would have been used for other purposes as well. But she's coming in to anoint his head with this expensive perfume. But while, when she comes to him, she's just overwhelmed and just starts weeping. And weeping to the extent that her tears fall on his feet. She then does something else unthinkable. She lets her hair down. Jewish woman did not let her hair down for anyone except her husband. And here she lets her hair down in public and is wiping the tears, and not only wiping the tears, now kissing his feet, and then getting to the anointing, not his head, but his feet. She just, it's just this progression of overflow of gratitude. And convention, so what? Who cares what anyone else thinks? That overflow of gratitude as um, this intruding guest. Now, of course, the Pharisee, being a Pharisee, thinks, all right, well, if this guy were indeed a prophet, he'd know who this woman is. And he wouldn't let her touch him. But he is letting her touch him. So he doesn't know who she is. So he's not a prophet. That's kind of, that's where he's going. This can't be a, a prophet. And of course, there's, there's a lot there we could, we could park on about, uh, you know, how, how so many sit in judgment where whereas the, the forgiveness of Christ can lead people we wouldn't think deserve this forgiveness to come to this place and to, to overflow with gratitude. Convention, forget it. Um, in a Presbyterian church, I don't know about that. You know, you don't want to rock it too much. You don't want to go too overflow with the Thanksgiving. Uh, but it's, it's refreshing uh, to see this overflow. And it's sobering and not unexpected to see the Pharisees' reaction. Well, here's what's fun about this. He says we can't be a prophet. Jesus can't be a prophet. Now Jesus proves him wrong on several counts. A, he knows what he's thinking. B, he knows who the woman is. And C, he's going to tell the Pharisee what he needs as well. So, yeah, it's funny how this guy can't be a prophet, and then Jesus proceeds to show him how much more than that he truly is. You look like you're, oh, you're ready to read. That's what's going on here. <laughs> I was getting ready. <laughs> All right. Well, now, with that being said, uh, take us through the end, of the end of the chapter, Ron. Don't go into chapter 8 yet. Jesus answered him, that is the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, 
I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, he said. Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hmm. Yeah, isn't that a great? That's just great. All around, right? Um, so, Simon, now, we get the name of the Pharisee now. It's Simon. That's what we need in the New Testament is another Simon. Um, there are about a dozen of them, all different. It, yes, it was a common name. You, you read Josephus' histories, there's about 20 that he mentions. Now, in the account in, here's what makes it kind of odd, too, or at least, you know, intriguing, is the later account uh, before his crucifixion of the woman who anoints his head, he's at the home of Simon as well. Only that Simon is a leper. So, more Simons. Well, this, this Pharisee's name is Simon. So, he looks, he says, he answered him. Notice that. I love that the Greek is, he answered him. Even though what the Pharisee said was to himself in his head. That would, that would be alarming. To have asked a question in your mind, and then be answered by someone, <laughs> and that's the word. He answered him. Simon, I've got something to say to you. Oh, boy. Okay, now he's invited this guy to find out what's going on, probably, a little bit about who this Jesus is. And we've seen Jesus confound people, and he's really good at that, because he just speaks truth and wisdom and kind of turns things back on people. Uh, and so, okay, I've got something to say to you, Simon. And notice he calls him teacher. All right, let's hear it, teacher. Let's hear it. What do you got? And then we have this little parable. And we, we don't have to really explain it that much. It's, it's pretty clear, right? Uh, two guys owe money, one a lot, one not as much. Although it's a lot for both, by the way. Back then, a denarius was a day's wage. It's a Roman coin equivalent to a day's wage. Uh, so, wow, about two years wages or two months wages? but still a lot. And what we often miss is that the, the moneylender, the banker, forgave both. I mean, he just forgives it. Go to your banker. <laughs> and no matter how small or big, it's probably not going to happen. So there's that, number one. That would have been astonishing. And we, I don't want us to miss that, right? That it's not like... You know, you might, we, we might compare our own sins. You know, let's pile them up, see who's got the bigger pile. Um, but no matter how big the pile is, 
They're forgiven in Christ. Well, he says they're, they're forgiven. But then he asks the question. Um, all right, Simon, who do you suppose is going to love more? Now, I use the term gratitude. Interestingly, in the Aramaic, there's not a word for, for thank you. It was, it was love. It was express, expressed love. Now, this is not Aramaic. This is Greek. But, so that's why we have the Greek. Who's going to love more? And that is the word agape, that word, that kind of love, okay? Um, <laughs> I love, Ron, I love how you read it. You had that little, <laughs> little sigh at the, at the beginning. Because it, notice he's not saying, well, of course the one who was forgiven the most. He doesn't say that. He goes, well, <laughs> great. You know, it's more, well, I suppose that, that's the answer. I suppose the one who was forgiven the most. Um, or almost like a teacher, uh, a good teacher will want, you can tell what a good teacher wants you to say. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, and so there he goes. He's, he's, so the one, he goes, that's right. Exactly. For instance. So having said that, exactly. And then he gives the scenario that has just taken place. And I love that he says, and looking at the woman, he says to Simon, Notice, he sees this woman, and the first thing he says, first thing he asks is, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? He's looking right at her, asking him. And of course, Simon did not really see this woman. He saw what he wanted to see. He saw the sinner. He saw the woman of ill repute who, happened, who just uninvited intrudes into this banquet and now is putting him on this... But he didn't actually see her. Um, and that's hard. I, I'm always convicted about that. If I, am, I, am I looking through my own preconceived notions about people? Or am I actually seeing people? Jesus saw people. So yeah, she's got that reputation. And she's doing these things that are embarrassing. I mean, this is embarrassing. But he goes, you see her? Yeah. So, I don't know that he does see her, but now he has to look and know. He knows what he thinks about this situation, but he relates it now back to Simon. He relates it to him. You didn't offer to wash my feet. Now, there are certain rules or expectations of guests going to homes. Now, it wasn't necessarily a requirement all the time that you do these three things, but for an honored guest, especially a rabbi, someone coming in, these things were thought it's just good hospitality. Otherwise, it's seen as kind of standoffish and, you know, you inviting someone to your house and, you know, you don't even open the door for them. You don't pull out the chair for them. You know, in other words, we have certain things that if we didn't do, it would be, what is wrong with you? Well, it appears Simon did none of these things. So, he says, you didn't offer to wash my feet. And by the way, shoes back then were pretty much just animal skin, like a, an extra sole you put on your foot with straps. That's really all it was. Yeah. <laughs> Birkenstocks. Yeah. Yeah. Sandal in the sense of just, it's just going to keep you from getting a cut from a rock more than anything else. And people, it was customary then to wash people's feet because it's been dirty and dusty and you know, they're coming into your home and they're going to be reclining and their feet are, you know, 
It was just, usually a slave did it, a servant did it. It's not that Simon would have done it, but here's this woman doing it, and with her tears, and using her hair to dry. Wow. And you didn't kiss me when I came in? I'm usually grateful for that when I go to people's homes. But in that culture, of course, a kiss, and it's still an Eastern cultural thing, the, the kiss on the cheek as, as, as a sign of favor and friendship. Because you didn't kiss me, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't even anoint my head with oil. And that's, the word here would be just plain oil, olive oil, cheap stuff. You didn't even do that. But she hasn't stopped lavishing this expensive perfume and ointment on my feet. Do you see her thanksgiving, Simon? Do you see it? Do you see how overwhelmed with gratitude she is? It's just incredible gratitude. That shows that she's been forgiven of a lot. Those who haven't don't really show this kind of thing. Now, it's not that he's comparing the one who hasn't been forgiven much to Simon. That's not the point here. The point is, do you see this lavish gratitude? It's because she's been forgiven much. That's what you're missing. That, you know, that you're missing that I've come to offer this, this forgiveness, and now you're seeing it. Wisdom is being vindicated by her children. You're seeing this, and you don't get it. Um, Simon probably didn't even think he needed forgiveness. He's a Pharisee. He's following, he's following the strict code. He's earning this. He, wants, you know, he's, he probably doesn't even think that necessarily. Now, they do recognize they need the, the, you know, the sacrifices of atonement for sin, but he's not out there acknowledging like he needs this. He's one of these upstanding Pharisees. And part of Part of what I think our culture needs is the rehabilitation of our own sinfulness. We don't recognize that anymore. When C.S. Lewis was asked to do the radio talks during World War II, they were turned into a book we, we know as Mere Christianity, those talks. But they wanted Lewis to, to talk about what Christianity can offer hope-wise during World War II. You know, when people are being bombed every night in London, what what does Christianity have to say? And Lewis immediately said, okay, I'll I'll do these things, but but the first thing we need to do, first thing I'm going to do anyway, is is to rehabilitate in the people of England the fact that they are sinners. So he starts there. He starts with the need. He doesn't start with what Jesus can offer. He has to first show what they need, and that is forgiveness. And he takes the first few talks to do just that, to get to a point where the message of Jesus Christ is now hopeful. So you've got to recognize your need, your own sin. We need to be driven to our knees by that, so that then the forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ makes sense. This woman recognized that in herself and quite literally falls to her knees at his feet in thanksgiving. I think a lot of folks who are followers of Christ have forgotten the immensity of the forgiveness and thus the necessity of the thanks. 
lavish thanksgiving through our lives. Notice he said, your sins have been forgiven. I can, you have, through your many thanks, it's shown, it's evident. And then, of course, he does say, your sins are forgiven. And that's when, of course, the assembled guests, probably some more Pharisees, say, well, who does this guy think he is? Forgiven people's sins. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What a contrast. But, but, a, but a necessary contrast for us today to once again be shocked into the lavishness of the forgiveness that's been given to us and the need for that type of gratitude in our own lives. Now, him doing this, this is the second time we've seen him declare the forgiveness of sins, and that's not going to be lost on these Pharisees because that's blasphemy. Because who can forgive sins but God alone? And then we have an account, just briefly, I just want to look. On the heels of that, we see not just this woman. Now we see that there are other women who've been forgiven, and there are women who are traveling with the disciples. That's shocking, right off the bat. I mean, rabbis wouldn't even teach women. And here you have a rabbi who's got women with him. So let's read about these. There's three names, so let's hear about them. Go for it. Oh, a woman will read it. That's good. That's what I thought. <laughs> After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had, had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. So you have these men who have given up everything to follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't, you know, he's given up his carpentry business, and now how are they going to make it? Well, we're told here that many of these women of their means are supporting this ministry. Um, of course, we could say that about almost any ministry on the planet today. Uh, but notice we're told that we're given the names of three. Uh, one, the, the, the last one mentioned, Joanna, I mean, uh, Susanna, that's it. That's all we know about her. Just so you know. There she is, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it appears that other people probably knew who this was because Luke did not elaborate. But Luke's the only one, too, that has this name in there. So that's all we got. But that's so cool. Um, working our way back up, let's, let's look at the next, going backwards. And then we have Joanna, the wife of Cusa, or Cusa, Herod's steward. So here you have a woman who has ties to the court. Her husband is probably one of Herod's stewards, meaning manages his accounts, uh, deals with, with, we don't know what parts of Herod's estate he managed, but he's a manager at some point. And this is his wife. Yeah. Which Herod would this be? Antipas. Yes. Yeah, good question. 
And then we have the most familiar name to all of us of these women, Mary Magdalene. Now, Magdalene is not her last name. Um, and there's two possibilities for the name itself. Of Magdala, meaning a little town that was south of Capernaum on the west side of Galilee, of Lake, uh, I mean of, uh, not, not Galilee, what, what, Sea of Galilee, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, and then the other is that it's a, it, it can, from Aramaic, it can be a word that means hairdresser. And hairdresser was a euphemism for prostitute, interestingly. Like flute girl, flute girl for a Greek symposium. Let's say you're Greek, Roman, you're having a symposium, a dinner, with a, and there are flute girls. That was also a euphemism for a prostitute. But here, hairdresser is a euphemism as well, well for a prostitute. Therein lies the tradition that Mary Magdalene was this, was this beautiful prostitute, if you see going through church history. Uh, but we're not told that. And in fact, here's the only place we're told she was freed from seven demons. But we're not told necessarily what that meant in her life. Does that mean it drove her to prostitution? Was she just a crazy homeless person? We, we don't know. But it's intriguing how much has built up around the tradition of Mary Magdalene. Uh, there are, of course, uh, you know, numerous, uh, you know, apocryphal writings and even speculation today that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were an item and had even been married. I think that was the Vinci Code, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's funny, and it's still how much intrigue is built up around her. Now, she, it, of course, does figure prominently later as well, which we'll see with at the crucifixion and resurrection. But most of what we think we know about her is just that speculation. The important part to recognize is that here you have at the beginning of the new Israel, the, the church, you have an integral part and place for women. The church kind of blasts apart early on how people saw men and women working together and the worth of women in the kingdom. And we see it here uh, that here are these women who flaunting convention would hang around with these men and travel with Jesus. And Jesus welcomed it. In fact, he delivered these women, as we're told, from, what, from whether it be you know, these maladies or demon possession and welcomed them. So that's pretty cool to see. Again, wisdom being vindicated by her children. The wisdom the Pharisees thought was silly. This Pharisee inviting Jesus, seeing it enacted before his eyes. And then we're told more about more of these children who are followers of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see more and more of that vindication and of him exploding the old wineskins. That's more, more to come, anon, more anon, let's say. There's a series called The Chosen that is uh, supported by donations. And so it's on internet, it's on streaming. Yeah, what service is that? I've tried to find it. Good Angel is the streaming 
folks have put it together. Mm -hmm. But you can find it if you search. Uh, it's called The Chosen. The Chosen. What's the streaming service? VidAngel. And it, it... But it's not going to be on, like, the major... No, 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 no. This is all donation-based. Okay. Because I've tried to find it, and I, I don't know... And, and, it, and it, it, they fill in a lot of the, the blanks about this, but it, it, they do it in a plausible way. Right. That's and what I've really read about it. It does make yeah. it more real to see the way in which they're trying to do this, and they're trying to be uh, true to the scripture. Right. Uh, but it, it, it point, it, Mary Magdalene is a major part of the first episode. Oh, really? Uh -huh. Yeah. And including the demon possession, and they postulate that, well, they, they have the storyline that Nicodemus tries to rid her of her demons, but fails. But Jesus comes in and, uh -huh. and and that's before Jesus had his real ministry going. Right. So, yeah, they, they take what we know and then add... They yeah, they speculate to make it dramatic, they, obviously. They also yeah. have her go in and do hairdressing in Herod's household. <laughs> Is that right? Yes. Wow. I, you know, I've read some good reviews, actually, it's about this. This episode is so beautiful because it just shows the brokenness in this life and the brokenness in this life and in, P, in um, uh, Simon and Andrew's life and all the, in all the brokenness of that whole Roman rule mm -hmm. in Jerusalem and the suffering of, of the people. And you just wait. Oh, Lord, please show up. Jesus, show up. Jesus, show up. You know, it just builds this uh -huh. desire for Jesus to come into the life. That's cool. We know he is, but you just can't wait for it to happen, and then he does. Have any of the rest of you seen Beautiful. it? The Chosen? Have you seen it? <laughs> now, it's, they've done one season, is that correct? And they're, yeah, they're starting, they're the, second starting the season? Yeah. Uh, I've just seen five of the episodes. The okay. It's been the candle wedding, which is... Very interestingly done, but I think it still is true to the yeah. scripture. And, and it's an app. You can have it as an app. Oh, really? Yes. Well, of course you do. <laughs> you know another one that's intriguing, uh, and I don't know if you. It's what's interesting about it. I always recommend this. It's called uh, the Miracle Maker. It's. Uh, the reason it's intriguing is that it is that that Russian uh, puppet art that they use of stop motion, where it's just this beautiful sets and scenes. It's all done through that, and it's and it starts uh, with Jesus just beginning his ministry, but it goes all the way through. And it's it's and it's fascinating how they as well bring in some fun storyline things to keep it. To keep it moving, it's called the Miracle Maker, and it's in, and it's the DVD uh, comes with how they made it too, which is pretty fascinating. Anyway, is that it might be. Yeah, check it out. Uh, it's been, it came out in the early two thousands, uh, but it's it's well worth well worth it too, both visually and theologically, how it, how it works out. I don't know if you're familiar with N.T. Wright. He's the, he is the, the advising theologian on it, which is pretty cool. A lot of kingdom emphasis. All right. Well, we, I saw people. I don't know. He didn't give me a dirty look, though, so we're good, Tom. Let's pray. 
Father, forgive us when we get used to being forgiven. Um, pray that uh, from our from our contemplation and looking at this uh, particular episode in the ministry of Jesus, that we'll be reawakened to uh, the immensity of your forgiveness and that our lives would be just as immense in gratitude. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. All right. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. See you, podcast people.